title of the new series is called Godly Vision. Godly Vision can be a short series. It's just going to take us to the new year. And um, it's going to take us into our annual fasting that we'll do from the first Sunday to the second Sunday in January. Uh, the goal of this series is for you to be able to see things the way God sees them. I feel like I've been very tough on y'all for the past two sermon series, Test Trials, Tribulation, and Joseph's Ten Tests. So this is going to be easy and encouraging series. I wanted to call it 2020, God's vision for your life. But for some reason, 2020 just doesn't have the same encouraging ring that it used to have to it. So it's going to be called Godly Vision. And here's the goal. The goal is for you to understand that God's vision for your life and what he wants to accomplish through you, in you, and for you is not based on the world. It's based on the word. There's a big difference. We spend a lot of our, uh, our time, it seems, looking at what the news report says about the world around us, focusing on the politics, uh, stock market, whatever's going on with your boss, your company, that kind of thing. But you have to understand God is not limited by what's going on in the world. God can do whatever his word says he can do in your life. Amen. Okay, so um, the title of part one, for the first time in my life, the title is not in English. The title of part one for your notes is Agah. Everybody say Agah. That might have been the first word you ever spoke as a child. Agah. I don't know. I think that was Baby Yoda's first word, a Mandalorian. But anyway, Agah. So the closest English word we have to Agah is meditate, but that does not properly define it. The Hebrew language is very unique. It actually takes three English words to explain or describe or to define the one Hebrew word, agah. Three English words. My three points today are the three words that define the word agah. Now, why do you even care? Why should you even care what agah means? Here's why you should care. 80% of the time in the Bible when you see the word meditate in the King James Version, of course, they did the best they could using that word meditate, which is not... In my opinion, it's not the best, but they did the best. 80% uh, of the time you see the word meditate, it refers to a God, but specifically in Joshua 1.8 and Psalms 1.3. So here's why this is important to you. Because Joshua 1.8 says, if you will a God or meditate on God's word night and day, you will prosper and have good success. How many of you would be okay if God helped you prosper? Would you be okay with that? Would you be okay if you were successful in different areas of your life? Would it be okay if God brought prosperity to your bank accounts? Would that be okay? Would it be okay if God brought success to your marriage and your relationships? You good with that? Okay, because I'm going to show you how. Uh, Psalms 1-3, blessed is he who finds joy in God's word and habitually a God or meditates on it day and night. Everything he does will, what are those two words? Prosper and now, those are two really cool words. I mean, if there was any words you'd want to find out how to do this in the Bible, it would be prosperity and success, I believe. Okay, so three points for today. The three points are actually the three words of God, and they're actually in order. Because the, the, the one Hebrew word, it actually takes three English words to describe the one Hebrew word in this order. Point number one, are you ready? Say, oh yeah. oh, yeah. Point number one is this. See it. See it. God means you have to see it. You have to find it. You have to read it. You have to look at it. You have to put your eyes on it. That's what it means. Matthew 6, 22, if the eye is good, the whole body's filled with light. If the eye is bad, the body's filled with darkness. You know that when you look at the wrong things, you go in the wrong direction. You know that. You know that. So how much so should you understand when you look at the right things, you go in the right direction? Seven times in the Bible, specifically, God asked somebody, tell me what you see. 
God wanted them to verbalize, what are you giving your attention to? You say you want or desire this over here in life, but you're not looking at that. You're looking at this, and this thing you're looking at does not produce this thing that you want. So tell me what you're seeing. Tell me what you're giving your attention to. What are you focused on? What are you looking at? We have to be able to see it in the Word first. Um, God told Abraham that he was going to have a child and many descendants. Now, God made Abraham rich, but he didn't care about money. God made Abraham famous, the Bible says, but he didn't care about popularity. The only thing Abraham wanted, the desire of his heart, was to have a child and a grandchild and great-grandchildren. So God told him, Abraham, I've made you a father of many nations. You will be a father. You are a father. You're going to have a child, grandchildren, and all that. But Abraham didn't have a Bible to look at. All he had was the word of God spoken to him, but he didn't have a Bible. It was nowhere written down. So what was he going to do? Well, God told him in Genesis 15, 5, look at the sky and count the stars and so shall your descendants be. In other words, I'm going to give you a picture for what I'm promising you. The thing that I'm telling you, the vision I have for your life, the thing I need you to accomplish, I'm actually going to give you something to look at and to focus on so when your faith is weak, you can go back to that picture. I can see Abraham laying in his tent at night and Sarah's asleep snoring and, you know, he's thinking, oh, is it going to happen? And I'm so old and, and, and God, I just feel discouraged. I know you gave me this promise, but I don't know if it's going to did, did I hear you right? And God says, Abraham, get out from under your tent. So Abraham goes outside and he looks up and he starts counting. One, two, three, four, five, 1,000, 2,000, 3,000, 2,001, 2,000. And he loses count. He says, oh God, you're such a good God. I knew you would do what you said you're going to do. Do you know that there are 6,000 stars you can see from the eastern sky on a clear night? Where Abraham was at. On a clear night, 6,000 stars. Did you know there are 6,000 promises in the Bible? It's almost like God is saying, for every promise, I'm going to give you a picture. For every promise, I'm going to give you something to put your vision on. So the next day, Abraham would wake up and he'd look outside and there'd be sunlight out there. And of course, he's thinking, oh God, I don't see any stars anymore. And, and he goes and checks the mail and there's a doctor's report in the mailbox. And the doctor's report says, Abraham, that we have not yet invented the blue pills. I don't know if you're ever going to be able to have this child, Abraham. And then he, he said, why don't you research on Google? And Abraham goes to Google and it says there's nobody your age that's ever had a child on planet Earth in all the history. And he starts feeling discouraged again. So God tells him in Genesis 22, 17, Abraham, I'll give you as many descendants as there are sand on the seashore. So Abraham goes to Myrtle Beach and he puts his hand in the sand. And as the grains of, hand, grains of sand fall through his fingers, he's once again restored with his faith. Why did God give Abraham a picture of the promise? So that his eyes would fill his soul with what God said would happen. The eyes are the windows to your soul, your mind, your will, and your emotions. What you look at is what you're going to accomplish in life. What you look at is what you're going to become. What you look at is the direction that your life is going to go in. Knowing that, how much more should we always see what God's promises in His Word? Twenty years later, Abraham had his first child. But listen, he saw his children years before they were ever born. Years before they were born, he already saw them through his eyes of faith. Um, a friend of mine I met um, when he was in his late 30s. Uh, he was an engineer here in town and he had no family, no friends, never been to church his whole life. And he was an alcoholic, but he worked. He, he, was, he had made a lot of money. He had a nice house, great job. But after he got off work, he'd get drunk and literally drink till he passed out 
and then wake up the next morning, go to work and do it again. That was his life. He stumbled into church. I was preaching at a, church, at a storefront building in Socrates, and he stumbled in one day, came to church, and within a month, he gave his life to Jesus, and he, Jesus completely broke the alcoholism, completely. I mean, 100% never cared about it ever again. He immediately started getting in the Word. I mean, he would find books. He'd ask me questions, give me homework. Here's another sermon to listen to. Every week, just filling his mind up with the Word over and over and over again. You could have taken away his nice house and he wouldn't have cared. You could have taken away his job, he wouldn't have cared. The only thing he wanted was a Christian woman. He wanted to get married more than anything. He was now at this time in his early 40s, and, and with all my heart, I believe God put that desire inside of him because it's in his word. If you have a desire to get married, then God wants you to get married. And so he had to, he'd never been married, early 40s, never been married. And so I invited him to a prophetic service we had one night, and it was a, a female prophet, a prophetess is what you call her, with the gift of prophecy. And um, she, her and her husband drove up from Atlanta, and in the middle of the service, she looks at him and she says, God said he's going to give you the desires of of your heart. Now, of course, in his mind, he thought, I hope that means he's going to bring me a woman. I want to get married so bad. And then she told how on her way from Atlanta to Myrtle Beach, her and her husband stopped at a restaurant and there was a little kitty machine that you put the quarters in. She said God told her to put a quarter in the machine and get a toy and out came a little ring, a little kid's ring. And God told her, you're going to prophesy over somebody at the service and I'm going to instruct you to give them this ring. So she looked at my friend and said, God's going to give you the desires of your heart. And she said, she told the story. God told me to do this. And she says, God told me that you're supposed to have this. She gave him the ring. He put that ring in his pocket and carried it with him everywhere he went. He couldn't wait to find a woman to put it on, I guess. I don't know. He put it on his nightstand when he got home. He just, it, was a, it was a picture to remind him what God said he was going to do in his life. Two years later, he met the woman of his dreams. A year later, they got married. And today, he's a full-time minister at a church here in Myrtle Beach. I believe it's not enough for us to just want something. We have to see it in the Word to know God will bring it to pass. It's not enough for me to just tell you. It's not enough. you got to find it yourself. Um, we need to use the Word as a way to... Um, to discover what it is what God's trying to deal with in our heart. In other words, if you're here today and you battle fear, you battle fear, anxiety, worry, you're afraid to lift your hands and worship freely during the music, what well, people are going to think of me, you're afraid to tithe, you're afraid to... Whatever it is, you have to find it in the Word. 2 Timothy 1.7, God did not give me a spirit of fear, but He gave me a spirit of power and a love and a sound mind. If you're worried about death or COVID killing you or whatever the case is, you got to find Psalms 91.16. With long life, God will satisfy me. Not just long life, but it'll be a satisfying long life. I personally battle guilt and condemnation. If I do anything wrong, if I call you the wrong name, if I say something stupid in a meeting, if I say something stupid when I'm preaching, man, I'll beat myself up for hours. You never have to correct me because I correct myself a hundred times. Morning. So I have to find in the word, 1 John 1, 9, if I confess my sins, God's faithful and just to forgive it. If I confess it, Lord, forgive me. Please help me change. That's it. It's done. I don't have to think about it anymore. I don't have to dwell on it anymore. But I have to see it in the Word to get it in my spirit. You read what you need. You always read what it is you need. You got to find it in the Word. You, that's how you study your Bible. You read what you need. Um, when me and Mark, y'all know Mark, he plays the piano when I'm not playing. And we, me and him, we've known each other for 25 years, but we, came, we became best buddies in 2015. 
And he was in his early 40s and unmarried and, you know, just doing his own thing, very selfish life. But he came to church. He started serving. He dedicated his life to Jesus. Faithful tither got his heart in the kingdom. And um, God all of a sudden put a desire in him to be married. He's ready to get married. He's ready to start his life, you know, the early 40s. And so he called me over to his house every single day for a season of life for me to do a Bible study with him every day. When you coming, when you coming, when you coming, I'd get there reading the Bible. And then he'd say, well, are you going to pray for me? So then I'd, you know, I'd pray for him after we studied him. And, 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 and it says in Psalms 37, 4 through 5, when you delight yourself in the Lord, a lot of people see this and they think, oh, if I do what God wants, he'll give me whatever I want. That's not what it says. It says when you delight yourself in this relationship with the Lord, he will put desires in you. His desires will be put inside of you. He'll give you desires and put them in your heart. And guess what? It gets better. Give yourself to the Lord and then he'll bring those desires to pass. It's not a coincidence that when Mark really got invested in the kingdom of God, all of a sudden Caitlin comes in his life six months later. Year after that, they get married. Year after that, they have a kid. Year and a half later, they have another kid. Mark says he's done prospering. He's done succeeding. He doesn't want to ever read the Bible again. He's going to stop coming to church. That's how he's just done. <laughs> no, it's not a coincidence, though. I know a lot of you, you got dreams, desires, things you want to see accomplished. Listen, if you'll delight yourself in the Lord, here's, let me see, you don't want to want something that he doesn't want you to want. So when you delight yourself in him, here's the good news. Then whatever he puts inside of you, it's okay to want that. It's okay to desire that. Some of you are desiring things that he doesn't want you to desire because you haven't delighted yourself in him. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's okay. Okay, so Genesis 24, 16, Rebecca was very young and beautiful woman. Verse 63, Isaac went into the field to meditate and pray. He lifted his eyes and saw Rebecca. Rebecca also raised her eyes and saw Isaac and asked the servant, who is that man? They got married and lived happily ever after. Here's the point. If you meditate on God's word, you'll get a hot babe. That's the point. <laughs> happened to my first friend. It happened to Mark. It happened to Isaac. Meditate on the word. Listen, if you want God to bring your desires to pass, if you want his vision for your life to happen, you got to get in the word. If you can see it in the word, God can do it in the world. If you can see it in the word, God can do it in the world. Speaking of which, Michael Bellinger and Candace have gotten engaged this past week during Thanksgiving. Woo! I'm so excited. He got a hot babe. How many of you want a hot babe? Raise your hand. No, some of y'all are married. Don't raise your hand. <laughs> you already got your hot babe. Okay. So I don't know if this is true for y'all, but it seems like women can see things a lot better than men can. They can really find something. They can really see something that men can't see. In my house, if I'm looking for a shirt or if I'm looking for, uh, you know, uh, one of my something, or if I'm looking for peanut butter in the, in the pantry, you know? And there's no peanut butter. Micah, we're out of peanut butter. And Micah's in the other room. She said, I just bought some last night. It's in the pantry. So I look all down the pantry. Top to bottom. I mean, I examine it. <laughs> Babe, you messed up. You, you know, no, you didn't buy it. You need to get some peanut butter. Write it down. When you I just bought peanut butter last night. It's in the pantry. It's on the fourth shelf. I'll look on the fourth shelf. I mean, I will examine every single thing. And then I think, I got you this time. I got you. I'm going to be right, and I'm going to record it on my phone so that my kids and even my dogs know that I was right this time. I want everybody to know I was right. Micah, 
there's no peanut butter on the fourth shelf. Sorry, you're wrong. She comes out from the other room, walks in. There's the peanut butter and goes back in the room. Does that happen for y'all? Happens all the time. All the time. Okay. It's not about the depth of your knowledge. It's about the intensity of your search. It's not about you knowing all the deep revelation in God's word and understanding the book of Ecclesiastes, which I can't even spell. And who wrote this and how does that happen? It's not about that. It's about your willingness to spend time with Jesus to look in his word to find out what he wants to accomplish in your life. It's not about how deep or how smart or how long you've been coming to church. It's about your willingness to search the word and find it for yourself. Amen? Okay, point number two and three are much shorter. Point number two is this. You see it and then you have to do this. You have to imagine it. That's literally what Haggai means. See it and imagine it. See it and imagine it. Psalms 119, one of the greatest scriptures in the Bible on um, seeing yourself the way God does. Look how many times the writer says we should see and imagine. Uh, verse 15, I will see and imagine your ways and not forget your word. Verse 23, your servants see and imagine your teachings. Verse 48, I love your commands. I will see and imagine your instructions. Verse 78, I take pleasure on seeing and imagining your commands. Verse 97, how I love your word. I see and imagine it all day long. Verse 148, all night long I see and imagine your word. This is how I learned to preach. I literally thought that everybody did this. When I started, I would read my Bible, then I would just sit back and I would visualize myself in the Bible fulfilling whatever's happening in that particular path. I, I literally thought this is what everybody just did. It was just normal for everybody. I have defeated Goliath a thousand times in my life. I mean, I could smell the fear in all the other Israeli soldiers standing by. I can see myself trying on Saul's armor and just realizing it doesn't fit. I see myself pulling out a slingshot, running quickly to the battle line. I've dragged Goliath's sword across his neck so many times. I've stepped in. I can't tell you how many times I've been in a boat with all my friends. And then all of a sudden we see Jesus and I'm the first one out of the boat walking on water. I've been thrown in the fiery furnace dozens of times by my enemies, but I can see Jesus standing right there next to me, and we walk out together without even smelling like smoke. I've been swallowed by a whale for doing something stupid hundreds of times. I had to repent, and I can see God getting me to my original destination in spite of my stupid mistake. I can see myself in the Word. You've got to imagine what God wants to do for you. A true story about this guy who was diagnosed with cancer of the bladder. Uh, this was years ago, many decades ago. The doctors told him it was inoperable, and they sent him home to die. Well, he was a Christian. He was in the military most of his life, and he would always be part of the uh, services they'd have there, wherever he was stationed at. He got his Bible out, and he found two specific scriptures. Isaiah 53, 5, by the stripes of Jesus we are healed. In Jeremiah 30, 17, I will restore your health and heal your wounds. So this soldier told how he would lay in his recliner every day for one hour. He'd get those scriptures out and he would close his eyes and he would imagine the white blood cells attacking the cancer cells in his body. He'd lay back, he said he'd see those white blood cells strategizing around different parts of his body, shooting guns, doing ninja moves, fighting, warring, and every day he would visualize the cancer cells dying, left one, right one, over and over and over again. For six months he did this. He went back to the doctor after six months and they were amazed because they found absolutely no trace of cancer. 
left in this body. Now, here's what you're thinking. You're thinking, wait a minute. You're telling me that my mind can actually cause my body to be healed? Okay, listen. Do you know how many wrong things you've imagined that have caused your body to go in the wrong direction? Every time you lust, you have wrong imaginations. Every time you fear, you're literally imagining the worst case scenario that'll never happen. Some of y'all can lay in bed at night and well, what if the world explodes tonight? Oh my goodness, how am I going to have my birthday next Friday? What are we going to do? You know, I mean, it, it, when, you're, when you're bitter, when you're angry, when you're upset, you know what you're doing? You're imagining that person that hurts you. You're seeing it in your mind. And then you feel it all over again as if you were right there. As if it happened like it did 20 years ago. Your mind is incredibly powerful. Um, the Babylonians in the Old Testament, remember the Tower of Babel story? These, this group of people, they wanted to build the biggest building in the world for the goal of becoming gods. They kept saying, we're going to be gods. We're going to be gods. We're gonna be God. So, of course, God destroys what they did. But in the middle of that story, there's a very unique scripture in verse 6 that says this nothing they have imagined will be impossible for them in other words you can accomplish impossible things for the devil all because of your imagination things that somebody would say man i can't believe that happened that's that's an impossible how in the world did that take place here's how it took place your mind you're, you always go in the direction of your imagination. Knowing that, how much more should we guard what we look at and what we think about? If you keep watching the news like you are, you're going to give yourself a heart attack. Or you're going to be on Prozac the rest of your life, one or the other. If you keep focusing on that horrible boss that you don't like and how they treat you, you're going to have the worst attitude and you're going to be unfaithful and have a lack of integrity every time you go to work. You control the direction of your life by what you put inside of yourself. Um, so, you know, I've told you the story a thousand times and I'll, I'll tell it a thousand times again. But my, my, my fourth child, my fourth son, Asher, when he was born... Uh, when he was three months old, the doctors, and it's a horrible amount of details, but I'll, I won't even tell you how we actually discovered this. Well, we finally ended up at MUSC, and um, they, after they did 120 x-rays, they did CAT scans, they did everything. Finally, they did six spinal taps. Uh, finally, they did an MRI of his neck, and they found this malformation in his spinal cord. And nowhere in the world has there ever been a child of that small, that age, with a malformation in that particular spot of a spinal cord. So they didn't know what to do. So the doctors told us, well, he's most likely going to die. We just want to prepare you that um, we don't know what's going to happen. We're going to try to have surgery in, I think they said, two or three months. And we're going to prep him every day and we're going to research. But, you know, if he makes it to the surgery, if he stays alive to the surgery... Um, once they have the surgery, he'll, if he makes it through, he'll be in a wheelchair the, mo the rest of his life and he'll have what they call a swan neck. It's where the neck can never move and is always looking down. So as we're in the hospital, little by little, every day, his body parts are stopped. They, they stop working as, his, as the malformation gets larger and larger. First, one of his legs stops working. Then the next week, one of his arms. Next week, one of his legs. Next week, the other arm just starts going up his body. And um, he was in constant pain, 24-7, screaming, not crying, screaming. The only time he wasn't screaming is when they'd sedate him. So he could sleep, and then he'd wake up, and he'd just constant scream. So the, one of the last things to stop working was his vocal cords. So even though he's in agonizing pain, 
He's just looking at us. Uh, I think three days before the surgery, his eyes stopped working. So here, when his eyes were working, you could see they're in so much pain. They're just, he's just, he just wants to scream, he can't scream. And then finally, we see the last few times and his eyes completely close. Our child is literally dying right before us. So when his eyes closed that day, um, I had this thought. When I was 15 or 16 years old, I played one of my first funerals at this huge, beautiful funeral home. They had a big sanctuary. They had a big room where the family would gather. And there was one like a warehouse section where they sold caskets. And you could walk through, and I was only there because I was getting paid. I didn't know the people that died. They just wanted me to come play the piano or whatever. And so I'm just walking around by myself, and I walk into this warehouse, and there's all these caskets, and they're, you know, $50,000 caskets, $1,000 caskets, and then there's these little three-foot caskets. And I remember asking the person, oh, those are replicas of the big ones that y'all sell so people know. They said, no, 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 those are real caskets. They're for babies. Whenever I was in, in USC and the Asher's eyes closed, I immediately pictured him in the casket. I saw his funeral. I saw my other four kids distraught, so upset about what's going on with their brother. I, I, I saw myself angry with God. God, I'll never preach for you. I'll never serve you again. How could you do this to me? How could you let this happen? You know, you're supposed to be a good God. And my child's dying. What have I done? What has he done to deserve this? I mean, you wouldn't believe what was going on in my mind. And I just, I mean, the whole, it was just getting worse and worse. I was angry. I was ready to just die myself. And then all of a sudden, poof, something clicked inside of me, and I have no idea how it happened. I ran to the nurse's station. I got tons of paper, permanent marker, and tape. And this is before there was internet. We had flip phones, so you couldn't look up scriptures. I didn't have my Bible with me. I was 28 years old. And I sat there, and all of a sudden, brought to my remembrance about 40 different promises in the Word that I heard all growing up as a child. And with every promise, I would write it on the paper and I'd put Asher's name in it. Asher will grow in wisdom and long life. God will heal Asher's wounds supernaturally. Uh, by the stripes of Jesus, Asher is healed. Every single one all over the place. Uh, Asher will grow in wisdom and favor with both God and man. The blood of Jesus surrounds Asher at all times. Next. All over the window. I mean, you couldn't even see the paint on the walls. You couldn't see the TV. You could, his bed had it all along the side of the bathroom. It was covered behind the toilet, in front of the toilet. You would have thought, if you weren't a Christian, you would have thought we had literally lost our mind. I can't believe they even let us do that at the hospital. Within 30 minutes, within 30 minutes, my faith was rising back again. And I saw my son growing up. I saw him talking, walking. I saw him going to school. I saw him playing soccer. Today is the very boy that I imagined in my mind 11 years ago. But I didn't do this because I'm a person of faith. I did this because I was a person who was filled with fear. That's why I did it. I did it because I wasn't seeing what I wanted to happen. I did it because I didn't believe God could do it. That's why I did that. We should be able to see more with our eyes closed than we do when our eyes are open. You should have so much word in you from coming to this church, from being a part of this family, from being in your short groups. You should have so many promises on the inside that you don't even need to pull out your Bible. You don't need to pull out your phone. That when the enemy attacks you, you already have it ready and waiting to come out of you. That's how much more we should have in us. Deuteronomy 6, 7 says, write these words in your heart and your mind. You shall do this when you sit in your house, walk on the road, lie down at night and up in the morning. Okay, listen, there are four times the enemy always attacks your mind. Okay, four times, and it's in this scripture, four times the enemy always attacks you. So here's what you need to be ready and unguard. Okay, the first one 
is when you're sitting in your house and you're bored. When you're not at work, when you're bored, when you have nothing to do, nobody's around, that's when you're tempted more than any other time. When you're bored. Don't be bored. Don't be lazy. Have a scripture ready. Man, you need to have scriptures up in your house. Get rid of your little tchotchke junk that you get from Goodwill or whatever them things are from Target. Those have no value to you. You need to put God's Word, put pictures up that remind you of the good things in life. Uh, put things up that inspire you. Get rid of a candle. Nobody cares about your stupid candle. Get a scripture up there, right? Okay, so when you're boarding house, here's the second thing, is when you're traveling. When you're driving to work or driving home. Listen, tell me if I'm lying. Sometimes y'all drive places, you don't even know how you got there. Your mind's just going into crazy. You're thinking about this person that hurt you or what you, how you're going to pay this bill and all these things. And you end up somewhere and you think, how did I even get here? Was I using my blinker? Was I paying attention? Y'all do that? Am I the only one that does that? Maybe I'm the only one that does that. So I end up playing. I don't even know how I get to places sometimes. Sometimes I just show up somewhere and I think, oh, I guess I'll go in here and find out why I'm here. I don't know why I'm here. I'll go buy something, I guess. The third time is when you go to bed at night and the fourth time is when you wake up in the morning. It's right there. When you go to bed at night, if you don't, I'm telling you, just get one proverb, just one proverb, and just put it inside of you. That's all it takes. Prosperity and success. Prosperity and success. Hey, God. Number one is see it. Number two is imagine it. And here's number three, declare it. And we'll talk more about this in the upcoming series, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it. But you got this is literally what that word, when we say meditate in the Bible, it doesn't mean think about. It means to see it, imagine it, and speak it out. Romans 4.20, Abraham never doubted God's promise, but he grew, remember Abraham's one with the sand and the stars, he grew strong in faith by verbalizing out of his mouth, giving praise and glory to God, fully assured God will keep his word. Every time he picked up the sand, he'd say, thank you, God, for my child. Every time he looked up at the stars, God, I just praise you for being a good God. When we sing in church, man, I wish y'all could get this more than anything else. When we, we don't sing just because we're good at it. We sing because we're trying to get faith stirred up in your hearts. The reason you sing the songs, you don't have to know the tune or you don't have to know the, 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 the notes. You just say the words. It's because that's how you release your faith. That's the whole point of praise and worship. In fact, that's what it means to pray. If you just want to learn how to pray, all you do is declare God's will. God, thank you for healing my body. God, thank you for healing my child. God, thank you for what you did 11 years ago. You're such a good God. God, thank you for our new building. Thank you for what you're going to do, God. Thank you for all the, the, the prosperity and success you're bringing our congregation, Lord. Thank you for healing relationships. Thank you for restoring relationships. Thank you for great marriages, God. Thank you for, for people that serve you with the whole heart. Thank you, Lord, people that forgive quickly. God, we just praise you because you're so amazing. You're so awesome. You've done so much for us, God. I don't see how people get saved these things without a touch of their heart I really don't I do not see how people can say these things and not do something on the inside and to realize that they not because of anything we've done but because of everything he's done that we can praise him we don't worship him because we haven't made any mistakes we worship him because he's never made a mistake we don't praise him because we're such good people we praise him because he's perfect he deserves every ounce of it that's all prayer is it's a true story, and I'll close with this, but this uh, seven-year-old girl named Jamie, her and her family, they lived on a farm, and um, they had a bunch of cows, and this one particular cow was going to be given birth in a few weeks, and Jamie, for some reason, seven years old, Jamie begged her dad, Dad, I, 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 can I have this baby cow? Can this be my cow? And the dad said, Jamie, we have too many cows. We have to sell this one. 
you know we need the money and we, we, we just can't, we can't keep any more here on our farm. We can't do any more. And Jamie begged every day, please, Dad, please, I want this cow. And so finally the dad gave in. He said, okay, Jamie, how about this? All of our cows are brown and like speckled, spotted, brown and white cows. If this cow comes out and it's black, then Jamie, I'll let you keep this cow. But you have to listen to me. If it's like any of our other cows, like the mom, the dad, any of them, brown or white and brown spots, then we got to sell the cow. So she said, okay. They went to church. She was in Sun. She was a little children's church kid, you know, and so she put her prayer request on the wall. One Sunday, the teacher had them draw pictures of what they want to. So she'd draw a picture of her black cow, and she'd say every day, God, thank you for my cow. Jesus, thank you for my cow. Thank you for bringing me my black cow. Well, a few weeks went by. The mama cow gave birth. Not only was the calf black, but here's a picture of Jamie and her cow. It's almost like God just stamped the letter J right on the forehead to say, Jamie, this cow belongs to you. <laughs> How many of you would dare to thank God for your cows that you hadn't even seen yet? How many of you would dare to praise God for the things you know he wants to do in your future? I'll close with this gospel story. It's just a very unusual one. But in Mark 8, 22, they brought a blind man to Jesus. And Jesus placed his hands on him and he asked him the question that I'm asking you today. Can you see anything? Tell me what you see. Tell me what you're focused on. Tell me what you're looking at in life. Tell me what you have your attention on. Because you're going to, whatever you see, that's what's going to happen in your life. And so in verse 24, the man said, well, yeah, I see people, but they look like trees walking around. So Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes again and his eyesight returned. He saw everything just like everybody else saw. You read this and you think, I think Jesus messed up the first time. You know, I think he just didn't get it right. Now, how many of you think that Jesus has messed up anything, right? He, he gets it right the first time, every time. So why did this guy see trees walking around like people? Why didn't he just see people? Why was it trees? Understand, the Bible is a spiritual book written to spirits by a spirit. So there's spiritual things in it. It says in Jeremiah 17, verse 8, Blessed is he who puts his trust in me. He's like a tree who has no worries and keeps bearing fruit. So we're trees. Uh, Isaiah 55, 12, all the trees of the field will clap their hands. Psalms 92, 12, the godly shall flourish like palm trees and grow as tall as cedars. You know what happened? When Jesus put his hands on the man the first time, he opened up his spiritual eyes. When he put his hands on him the second time, he opened up his natural eyes. Here's what I think Jesus was saying to us. I can heal your eyes and you can see what everybody else sees. You can see the news reports. You can see the presidential crisis we're going through. You can see all the sickness and deaths. You can see the stock market. You can look at what everybody's looking at. But if you're not healed with spiritual eyes, you'll never accomplish what I want you to accomplish in life. The idea, the goal, the way to find prosperity and success in the vision that God has for you is to see it, imagine it, and declare it. Amen. And that is godly vision for your life, number one.